Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for 12th of April 2021. I am now 59 years old and one day. How about that? It's very exciting, isn't it? Get look good on the gravestone. Um, where should we start? Well, I think I'll start with the words of Jimi Hendrix in the song Foxy Lady. And this is dedicated to all of the shorts on May Wheat who possibly can't tender. And in the words of our friend Jimmy, here I come, baby. I'm coming to get you. Uh, let's face it, the market's moved up £7 a tonne from its recent low on about 80 lots. Uh, so yesterday the worm turned, and in our opinion there's still a few people who might sell a bit sub 200, but I think it's not going to be long before that futures market starts to feel the breeze. So you've heard it, we've told you, I have no conscience about it. I think that it is going to become a very technical market. I could well be very wrong, and I've had to eat several humble pie slices in the last month, but I'm just beginning to sound a bit like a cockerel crowing. So we shall see where it goes to. With that in mind, I mean, feed wheat prices physically aren't necessarily going to zoom up at the same rate that futures have. Uh, Currently, the best ex-farm value for feed wheat for May is 190, uh, which is an improvement on where it's been. It didn't really go down that much um, relatively. And if anything, I don't think we really traded any ex-farm grain in that time. We did buy a bit of uh, physical delivered off a few merchants who were trading against futures premiums. But uh, one assumes they bought futures at the same time. If not, then, you know, it's it's cheap wheat now. But I think the market is, well, the farmers are very busy in our corner anyway and not really inclined to be talking about marketing. They've got plenty of time to trade the last bit. And uh, 190 is an outrageously brilliant price, but it doesn't sound enough, does it, after seeing 200 trades? a month or two so with that in mind i think the market stays physically tough to get your hands on and i think if i was someone who needed to buy it yeah i've told you about that already you've worked it out let's move on to milling wheat there's a little bit more life creeping into that again the consumers have had it their own way for for quite a while now a good 20 pound drop on feed wheat prices there's a few sneaky little premiums coming back in again now so there is some trade to be done and people will be fixing premiums i guess as they move on now again these guys have got to come in and buy a bit so it depends on their timing and then depends on what the merchants prepared to do with them without farmer support uh, or how good the rep is at persuading you lot to sell it so let's move on to feed barley oh no actually i better talk new crop new crop prices of feed wheat 160x november is where the prices got you there that market was actually heading downwards and it was based upon farmer selling conditions of crop coming out of winter people feeling quite yeah it's a sort of benign weather forecast that had everybody thinking yeah it's gonna drift off a bit i better lock into these prices because there's less done forward than is normally done and all of a sudden there's been a very large volume go through on london wheat which is those were traded as AAs 
which you know a couple of thousand lots have gone through in the last two days. Now that means a big consumer has probably come in and taken a very large slice of what they need to buy as cover. Now what that means is an AA is against actuals and what that means is a, a big consumer who has a deal with a big uh, merchant of some description who's committed to supplying them and them only with whatever product it is says right when I press the button I want to buy 50,000 tons then they press the button and that leaves the merchant short at that point in time I mean you have to be big to have these trades so with that in mind that merchant then has the choice of sitting there saying well I think it'll come down and the farmers will come to us or you have to say hang on a minute I've just gone 50,000 tons short and I need to do something about it so what I suspect is going to happen in the next day or two is there's going to be cover taken against that short uh, and the market's going to remain buoyant. I also think there was a a swap done. Now I've never been bright enough to truly understand what swaps are but it's some form of trading house accommodating a large trade probably against another market stroke commodity. So somebody said right I'm putting a calculated guess here that the UK is worth this, another commodity stroke country stroke whatever is worth this price at the moment. I believe those two will pull apart and what's happened is there's been a trade go through which has meant there is big slug open position on North Futures or the trade's gone through that will one day have to be unwound. So there is someone in there who isn't necessarily UK trade uh, bound. So that's interesting if you're an anorak and it also means yeah we're going to see I think the market struggling to go down in the in the immediate short term even though the weather has been reasonably kind bit dry in the east but you know large large parts of the country aren't dry and the crop is coming out of the winter in an okay condition it's not perfect but you know if you traded just your own country you'd be thinking yeah I ought to sell a bit because my wheat looks a bit green and the nitrogen's going in etc so uh, I think you need to look at the bigger picture look at the outside world the, the the reality is or the question you have to ask is why did that big consumer why did those people who have to buy lots and lots of tons of wheat step in to buy something and if you ask that question, the, the farmer thinks he's the most important person in the process. Well, he is if he doesn't plant anything at all, because he's like, I'm not letting you have it. There isn't any. But if he's going to commit every single year to growing wheat, the equal importance has to go to the people who consume it. So at this moment, if you look at it purely like a farmer saying, ah, oh, nice crop, it's going to go down, I'm going to get a good yield, I better sell it. Um, the consumer is someone who's looked at it from a different place, thinking I need to buy it at the right time. And they obviously have felt... And they've got a lot of, you know, when you buy this sort of volume of tonnage, they're not going to be doing it blindly like they don't know what's going on. I think they've looked at the bigger picture in the world. And I, I would suggest our view is that the weather forecast is underlyingly kind of could be dodgy. Any any form of weather problem is going to kick this market off to give us a spike rally at some point and I also think that you know and then the long-range forecast in the midwest or the the plains is actually warm and dry all the way through till till June now if that comes to fruition that's going to mean the American corn market is on fire now that market's already got spooked because last week there was a report that said there's only going to be 91 million acres of it And what that means is that that was less than what people were expecting to replenish stocks. So if the USDA are right on that, it's going to remain tight for the whole season of the corn. So it's already on a knife edge with low stocks. And the knock-on effect is that the soybean acreage was also at a lower level. And that's even more bullish and lower stocks than the corn is. So it really is a very tight market. There's a USDA report today about supply and demand, and they've got to bring in the aspect of the recent Chinese buying that that occurred, which should make it even more bullish again. Now, I'm sure they'll invent something that nullifies it and makes it come off a bit. But potentially, last week when the USDA report came out about planting intentions, the market went 
limit up, which means it went to the limit of a day's allowed trading range, and then it can't go beyond there, so people can't go bankrupt in a day as people run away crazy. It gets to a point, it stops, give people a chance to breathe, and then the next day, if it goes up limit again, usually that, that kind of stems its craziness and gives people enough chance to, to sort themselves out. In the case of today's report... If they come in and they bring stocks down even lower, I'm afraid I think corn will surge through $5, and this is recorded well ahead of the report coming out, so it might have happened during the day anyway, as people anticipate it. It's going to go up if the report has any mild bullishness in terms of stock reduction. So, so potentially we've got some real life coming into this market. Right, no, let's talk about feed barley. It's kind of like, do you know what? Feed barley, 150x old crop, sell it, stop dicking around. New crop feed barley, harvest 130 x i don't think it's gonna be much lower than that actually i think it's there is a bit of interest in feed barley exports and i think barley generally has less supply than people are comfy with so i don't think there's a massive downside to that and i think you can chill about that um obviously getting harvest movement organized is a good start but i think yeah as far as old crops concerned ditch it stop dicking around it needs to be sold 150x get out your shed get the money in the bank um new crop yeah like 130x for harvest is better than malting barley price as well as last year if you want to get out of the way maybe just get it booked but um beyond that i wouldn't feel too sure too much fear in the short term um obviously currency weather and all sorts of stuff can change and you're the man who's doing your own budget so finally oilseed rape my man ian webster the guru is saying that old crop is 420 but what's relevance is that who's got some we don't know therefore that's nothing to trade so i can quote any old price and who cares um so harvest is more important current value 360 to 365 something in that region there has been cold weather in europe so fears that there's been frost damage whilst crop is fully in flower that is an issue also the 87 million soybean planting which is lower than anticipated supports oils in general so and at the moment the, the price structure for US farmers to choose between corn or soya is in favour of corn still. So soya acreage could drop further if the weather is right on corn planting and people stick a few more acres in. From a from a budget perspective, yield at versus price versus cost of growing, etc. is still in favour of corn. So the acreage of, of soya could actually drop further, which would then force prices up even more. So we are friendly to new crop. Beans are still too cheap to buy acres, is the point. I cannot see anything particularly bearish on, on rape at the moment, so we'll stick with the um, do nothing on that one. So with that and my quote of Jimi Hendrix, I hope that you all have a fabulous week's trading and um, and advice to young people, you know, the world still looks the same out of old eyes as it does out of young ones. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 or email info at And now it's time for Farm Chat. Today, I have got with me a real piece of Norfolk. I have got a very good and very dear old friend of mine called William Almy. Hello, William. Hello, Andrew. 
William is not individually in the cereal sector, although he's working on a farm that grows very, very fantastic malting barley. But William's side of the industry is something we haven't had on the podcast before. So, William, just talk us through what you do with your day. Well, mainly my part of the business is beef production, really, or buy and store cattle. We don't breed them. Buy them locally in Norfolk and parts of Suffolk and fatten them and sell them. Do you them. go any further than that? Do you go... No, you know? no, just sort of really East Anglia tops, really. And why is that? Because of TB, the problems in the West Country oh, yeah, for okay. TB, which we are lucky enough not to have in Norfolk. Okay, and so have you got regular people who expect to see you every month, or how does it work? Yeah, usually yearly, really, in the spring or the autumn. So now I'm buying several in April which will be round a year old some to graze which I graze some locally and the rest to finish we have a lot of people who understand every word you're talking about bar the Norfolk accent possibly but that's all part of the regional fun and we have a number of people who listen who actually well they don't come from this country as a good start but a lot of people don't understand agriculture at all and yet they find themselves listening to us droning on about grain prices and stuff so finishing what's that mean that means we buy them when they're thin and fatten them up and sell them to a local butcher. So does that like, like take eight weeks or um, ten weeks? That or? can take about 16 weeks average. Okay. And you've got some contracts with some very prestigious butchers, haven't you? I mean, you're not going to advertise them because we don't want other people to know about it. But you No, we supply a well-known butcher in Norwich with about three bodies a week. Yeah, because um, you can say their name because they're very, very... Archers at, uh, yeah, at Norwich. Very uh, popular butchers, yeah. fabulous sausages, which is nothing to do with you. But, yeah. And the beef is, what, predominantly yours or all yours? All ours, I think, at the, at the moment. Well, we sell about 10 a week all the year round, and they have three of them. Mm-hmm. And they all go to the local abattoir at Blake's at yeah. the moment, and they spread them out to their butchers around Norfolk, really. And there aren't... That many abattoirs anymore, are there? No, we've got one, really, in Norfolk, which is Blake's near Norwich, and that is the only one in Norfolk, I think, which is a bit sad, but... Well, I mean, that's the way of the world in lots of respects. I mean, as long as it's able to keep functioning, you're okay, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. One assumes there's enough demand over here if they suddenly went, disappeared, then someone else would spring up and have a go at it, I guess. Yeah, possibly. They talk, there has been talk Mm. of mobile abattoirs, which they have in other countries, so they go into certain areas, you know, coming around and to well, places. So, so and someone would turn up here with a lorry. Yeah, indeed. There's I mean, all white speck yeah, and white... Yeah, sorted, which they have in, I think, in Australia and America, but okay. not here yet. Well, I mean, that might be a... There's a cost-saving in some of that in one respect, but not... In, uh, yeah, it's an the trouble is most of the beef goes to big shops now, the supermarkets. So really big centres, like there's a big abattoir at Spalding, which supplies Morrison's. Another one at Sheffield, which is supplies Aldi, I think, which mm-hmm. I s- sometimes do business with. But if we put them on a lorry, Spalding's not that far, and Sheffield sounds a long way, but that's not the end of the world. And so, I mean, the trade in beef since January, which is obviously Brexit, the world was going to end and all the rest of it, mm. it's been really quite good, hasn't it? Yeah, buoyant. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are, well, they're not going out as much and they're thinking about what they've got for tea. So they're, instead of buying the finest... Yeah. As opposed to them. Instead steak. of paying, I don't know, £40 for a steak dinner, they're buying two steaks which cost £20 and and having a dinner at home for yeah, £25. Yeah, quid, yeah so. bargain. Everybody loves that. We're, yeah, we do. Who's going <laughs> to go out again? Yeah, well, that'll happen, I hope. <laughs> Doing Grain have booked a meeting at the Buckinghamshire Arms on Monday lunchtime outside mm. because it's the day they're opening again and... 
it's the day after my birthday. We're going to go and have lunch well, together, all a of good us. Idea to me. We're going to call that a meeting. Yeah. So hopefully that will drag on. Now there's been a struggle this last year. I don't, not farming's been pretty good, but the the whole life has been a struggle. Really, not easy. I think. Well, if you're social, I mean, some of us, you know, in my youth or my younger days when you knew me probably more was a much more social life and. Nowadays, I'm, I just don't. I, I don't think it's going to change. I, I've gone to watch Norwich City, go and watch rugby locally, which is where you have a few beers. But other than that, maybe pop down the red line at Coltshall. But yeah, there's not a lot that I've missed, really. But some people are a bit more social than that, aren't they? Yeah, we're quite fortunate, really. We On the estate that our farm was on before we bought it, there's a, quite a posh hotel now been well, built. The Gun- Gunton the Arms. Gunton Arms, which is uh, quite... <laughs> Quite good, and uh, that's, we, that's top ten in the top ten pubs in the country. It's not quite good; it's brilliant. I've, yeah, well, that if suits we were, me. Yeah, that's just you drive across the park, don't, yeah. don't you? Yeah, my son's bought a golf buggy a couple of three years ago, but that uh, didn't last long. <laughs> what did he crash it? Or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they arrived home with uh, one less person than they left with, really? so they had to go back and find them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the beauty of, if anyone comes to this part of the world, the Gunton Arms is definitely a place you need to book into to experience it. Mm. It's, uh, you know, they've, the guy who owns it has spent a lot of money on it. He's doing another pub up, which is not far off being finished yeah. either, isn't he? Suffield Arms, apparently. So, uh, Any idea when that's opened? June, the June date, whatever, okay. when we all oh, right, okay. can breathe again. Well, I think we're all going to go there, aren't we? Well, we'll have a, give it a try. Can you remember, I went went there once randomly, as you might have told us about it, I can't remember, but I turned up there and the Stranglers, a bloke from the Stranglers did an impromptu little, in the bar, just got his guitar out and started doing Stranglers. I missed that. No, I was, I was there with Chris Harrison, I remember yeah. that. And it was obscure, we weren't, it was unannounced, but like, it was incredible. Anyway, a Stranglers concert at the Suffield. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was there, there wasn't a t-shirt. So let's, let's just go back before the cows, because when I first knew you, we played rugby at Holt Rugby Club together. Yeah. I've, I've been toying with telling this story or not. I think I will. When I was captain of the second team, you thankfully played for me sometimes when I was, you know, in need. And sometimes people could play, sometimes people couldn't. But you turn up and there was one week we played and I had Richard Seaman in the side. who was an expert at, at tactical rugby from never being a captain to sort of like having a whisper in the captain's ear. And he decided to say to me that you weren't getting the ball out quick enough from the scrum. <laughs> so he said, get, get William to do some dive passes. You probably you remember this. I remember this vividly. So so I, I, I thought, right, OK, that sounds sort of knowledge. I said, well, William, can you get the ball out? Can you, do, can you do a few dive passes, right? So what you did was every single ball out the back, you dive Well, here we are. <laughs> Yeah, it was somewhat totally unnecessary, but you really emphasised these fabulous dives. <laughs> I just, just, yeah, that was that was very much you, and uh, you were right to take the piss out of me by doing it. <laughs> Didn't speed it up much, I expect. No, no, that's not the point. Richard Seaman was probably most, you know, he's still not happy with something with the delivery, but it was just funny. But you, in those days, you were pigs, weren't you? Yeah, we had pigs. For, we had. Pigs till Boxing Day, Millennium Year, which was 1999. And we had, I think a lot of things had changed, really. We got this illness, this wasting disease, which a lot of people had at the time. And my dad was getting older, and he did the cattle. And that was about time that I made a decision to either do what he did or to carry on having the pigs. And and I went down the cattle line, which we were set up for and has done us well, really. With the benefit of hindsight, would you have 
done that sooner or would that have stood on your dad's toes too much? No, that was about right. He was he didn't hold us back. I mean you knew my dad. He was just, he was sort of a hardish chap, but he was he, <laughs> he always... was a, he's what we call him a ca- a proper Norfolk character, weren't we? Yeah, well he let us do it really, but the time was right. I suppose at that time he'd be I'd have been about was twenty mid thirties really and yeah. but he'd always gone to the market every Saturday forever from the old cattle market on the castle ground through uh, yeah. Norwich, the first one at Norwich at Hall Road, and he was part of the furniture. And he used to, you know, we used to have a lot of cattle, but at the time that was easy because a lot of the dairy herds were all quite high quality before Holsteins came in, and the steers or the cattle that came from them were like peas in a pod. They were all really good, mm. good confirmation. And then, of course, Holsteins came along, and, and that was more of just bread for milk, really. Right. And but from the West Country, there was a men used to bring two hundred a week up from Gloucester. One particular man, whom my dad did a lot of business mm. with. I say everything's easier, but that was easier then. I mean, your dad. We've had this joke in the past, but it's taken me a lifetime to get trading with the Almy family in earnest with your malting parley, which which your brother you know trades. But your dad, before that, I can remember him from my earliest days in the trade, coming into the office at Dalgetty's at Rackheath and haggling. You know, and haggling, there's haggling and there's people who are good at it, naturally, who can, if you like, take all your fingers off and you're still laughing at the in the process. Mm. And I, I don't mean, I mean that really kindly. He, it was it was like anaesthetic. He would just be asked for a price that was outrageous with a bit of humour or something. But anyway, he somehow managed to get the price higher than anybody else in my, it, from my observation. I mean, he used to deal with Eric Tag. Eric would be coming yeah. here and phoning up and it'd be done over the period Eric of used fun. to come for tea did in he the summer yeah <laughs> well taggy used to be in he was he wasn't a fighter pilot he was on a, a hurricane in the war yeah. didn't he long time in the water didn't he yeah he did yeah. i mean he's an amazing i mean when i came into the trade at dalgetty's we a story about eric tag and some of the old boys who had a job after the war him and a chap called harvey gotterson Harvey was also an, an airman, and when they got when we got radios before mobile phones, and it wasn't CB, it was a particular aerial thing that all these boys could talk to each other. And ET one was Eric Tag, and HG two was Harvey Gotson. That was their area number was one and two. And I can remember those two one night after harvest when the radios were reasonably new, and it was harvest time in those days. We would be working seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night well certainly nine o'clock in the office booking stuff up and and that's when you could get the farmers and do the deals so tag you'd been phoning your dad right late on and your dad would be going oh that's not enough i want another fiver and he'd you know mm. worked his magic but taggy and harvey got on the the radio and had this conversation like they were flying back from germany and it was unbelievable it was like there's just everybody shut up and just listened and everything stopped and all of the other reps would have been listening to it as well and they just went through the, the you know, you know. Yeah, well, they lived it, didn't they? Oh. And yeah, you're right. Eric, as you say, got shot down and went for a bit of a swim for a while till somebody plucked him out of the water. If I may say, Andrew, that's not this farm we're in. As a family concern, that's with my two brothers and mm. my nephew are here, and hopefully my two sons will be back involved with it at some point. Well, you move straight on to something which I, I'll go into. Your family have managed to within agriculture, find employment and keep working and keep it very much a farming unit amongst brothers and amongst families that have gone beyond the generations more so than any other because every other 
lots of other people get one main prominent person, but you you do rub along together incredibly well, certainly to the outside world, whether you all punch each other when you get... No, not no. at all, never, no. No, it's incredible how well you work and the fact that everyone is still integrally involved. I mean, Mother's still around, isn't she? Yep. She's, yeah, she's, she's keeping on things. She's got very good ears still. Is she still in charge? Uh, no, not really, I think, <laughs> but she can smell some cash out if there's any flying about. <laughs> yeah. God. Well, back to your dad and his skills. You know, he obviously had something that kept you boys in in a unity. He was just, yeah. It, it I think would... we all went we all went our ways really with our bits of the business, which is one brother with the lorries and the other brother, and now his son with the arable land and and me with the cattle. And if you make mistakes, nothing's ever said. Like I'll buy cattle and they'll die or something but <laughs> through no fault of my own and you'll feel terrible but no one will ever you know that everyone's always pretty fair about it but you, you uh, can't blame jack for driving badly with him on the truck or you can't blame no no you're not jack brian for the lorry and yeah, jack, jack things does, happen but yeah. you try and do we all try and do our best but and we got to try and clean we said with a we, as us three brothers we got to try and cling to this life if that'll see us out, we'll think we'll have done well. But at some point, we're going to have to move on with, with generation the way we do it. Really, yeah, that's for so. You know, I mean, your your lads. You know, Sam is is working on another farm. Yeah, he's an avid listener. Hello, Sam. And Laurie, what's he doing now? Laurie works for Kettle's Crisps as a fieldsman, really for the Kettle Growers Group, which is okay. Jamie Harrison's group. Yep. And uh, yeah, and he he enjoys that. So his his job is advising on what agrochemicals. No, or, he's, or no, no, no. He's, he does the he does ch- store checking, uh, fry checking, and organising seed. He sort of fell into that job, but he he enjoys it, and he knows a lot of people. And he's uh, well, he trained at Ben Burgess, didn't he? he no, he trained at Dills at North Dills, is it? Yeah, Sorry, and he didn't see that as a life his whole life. So he's got no. Well, not no direction, but he's just, he's sort of not setting away. He'll do this, you know. Yeah. Laurie and Sam are the same age as my two boys, Josh and Henry. And so they rubbed along together all the way through their childhood, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So when you have identical aged sons, you inevitably, you know. They're lifelong friends, I think, the four of them, really. And and, um, they might not, or haven't seen each other lately, but if they see each other, they're. Well, Sam's now locked down with a new new young lady, isn't he? That's why he's lost five stone and he's like. (laughs) Edit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it's um, no, good for him though, and um, yeah. Well, anyway, they're all they're all kind of growing up and getting there, aren't they? Yeah. Who's going to take the cattle on? Who's the? Who's I, I'm not sure. I think I, I'm not sure who'll do that. That's ever so difficult because you have to you have to go off and speak to you know you have to get to know people, and that's a job. I never went with my dad. He went off to see people, and now I do the same thing. You know, two or three days a week, I'm down in Suffolk or up along the Norfolk. You but know. you, but it, the same as as when you like in my terms, in grain trading terms, if you think that someone else is going to show you how it's done, they're not because you're completely different to them. They are a different person to you. So if you know you've got to buy barley and you've got to sell barley and you've got to make money out of it, you've got to find that way of doing it. So if you've got to do cattle, one you've got to know how to look after them, which is a, yeah. a technical aspect. But the bit where you have to make the price for what is that skill is about finding the right person that you're trading with the other side, isn't it? And getting yeah, someone to, to buy be, your story. I deal with all sorts of people from the biggest farmer in Norfolk down to the smallest farmer in Norfolk, and I treat them all exactly the same. Fortunately, with my job, I can't say, if someone's got 100 cattle, I don't give them any a different price to anyone who's got 
two. You yeah. know, I'll be absolutely fair. The only the only time I might not bid as much for them as if I don't really want them, and then that's you know. No, and but that's, that's there's no difference to me. I I say exactly the same thing. Yeah, and everyone goes, oh yeah, of course you do. I do actually. Yeah, I get, I will give the same price for wheat to any individual, be it you know yeah. a lord or be it a a guy with just a couple of loads, and it is worth what it's worth. You know, yeah. issues like loading and holding people up and stuff like that has to be taken into account sometimes. But largely, the price of something is the price of something. What I do with cattle buying, if they're of a the standard that I want, I'll buy them. Yeah. You know, because sometimes I think uh, you have to bid a good price for them, but you think, well, what's the point? Of, as long as that's just trade price, what's the point of not buying it? Because two days later, you're going to need some more. Yeah, and what's more, if it isn't up to spec... You're not frightened to say, no. Well, I wouldn't. I'd never. I'd never say they weren't any good. I'd just say they aren't my type. If they're, yeah. If they're not what. No, I, I remember when I first moved into where I live now. I had the marsh out the back. It's a bit mucky, and uh, I said, "Come and have a look. See if you can put any cattle on there." And you walked down. And you looked down. And you went, "No, I don't need any more at the moment." You said, <laughs> which you know is at that time it was in a pretty grotty state, and since then it's obviously it's that was got all time of year actually, Andrew. Probably it was it, the meadow grass is about throat yeah. on and just it was in a very you know 20 years of pulling it round it's, it's not too bad the horses on it now Andrew yeah that's slightly more yeah. I'd rather have your cat on them and get the odd steak instead of all the money I spend on them yeah but anyway <laughs> let's not dwell Tess no. doesn't listen it's okay yeah so you moved out of pigs is it more fun doing cows definitely well they're not they're not cows putting your right hand sorry, just sorry. Oh, right. beef beef Bullocks, animals yeah. steers and heifers yeah but of course yeah of course it is that's that's much nicer being out in fields than in a shed really with pigs yeah I, I really i enjoy it and sometimes that breaks your heart but then everything does if you have uh the christmas pneumonia sort of thing where you can get a real bad bug goes through but you have to sort of get on with it really yeah i would have thought the bit where you deal with people suits you more as yeah, well. yeah i enjoy I, I really enjoy hearing about all their ailments yeah, well, and, uh, people do, don't, don't they? Yeah, well, they don't see anyone. I went to buy some cattle off a lady once, and she just she came running out of a porch, and she just accidentally let a four ten gun off in her porch, and there was a big hole in the wall. <laughs> and she done that? I don't know. She was got a shoot of something or other, and she she put a cartridge in, and that went bang. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't her husband. She's aiming at. No, I don't know that time anyway. <laughs> now there's some real good. I, Farms are big now, bigger, but there's still a lot of there's still a lot of smaller independent people around, more than we might be led to believe, I think. Yeah, there's still people who are trying to start off as well, aren't they? Yeah. And yeah, that's such a job to start off. I mean we Yeah, it is but if you want to do it, I I don't think it's any different to what it was years ago. I think people will still yeah. determinedly find that way. So because my dad took this farm on in nineteen sixty three from the Gunton estate. Right. That was through circumstance because... I don't know, through people my mother's parents knew and stuff, and we got this farm anyway. That was when there were several farms for let at mm-hmm. that time, and then since then the farms that have come up seem as though they've been split, and we're as guilty. We've taken farms on yeah. next door, and yeah. but not... Well, we have if we got the opportunity, but we rather, we'd like to buy, really. We'd rather buy and, than do Rent. contract yeah. farming, and we just like to be our own boss. Really? Yeah, well, you know where you are with it. And yeah, but that's obviously that and... holds you back a little because there's opportunities now for for bigger things. But we're we <sighs> yeah, but it's yeah. Who knows where this is going? You know, it, the price of 
the product? Will we be growing sugar beet? There's a whole host of questions you can't answer at the moment. And making a long-term commitment at prices that, you know, you've got to be aggressive to get the deal, I guess, mm. still. It's a risk that's unnecessary, I think. I think we've gone through a little bit of a change period. For what it's worth, I think cereal prices are going to stay firm. I don't think the days of £120 a ton wheat will come back because it costs too much to grow now. It costs much more than that with these new extra machinery costs mm. and what have you. We never used to grow wheat, you see, Andrew, until, as you know, until four or five years ago because the trouble is we, the varieties have improved, but with the barley, we used to get three and a half tonnes, well, between three and three and a half tonnes regularly, mm. and we could only get that of wheat, and barley was then at 140, and wheat could have been yeah. 98 to yeah. 100. Well, yeah, as we both know, the wheat price has hit 200, it's dropped off a bit now, but 200 pound a tonne of wheat, barley never sniffed that price, No, other than if you had marisotta, yeah. which, you know, marisotta, we both know, can hit the spot, which is great, or it can miss the spot, which is really, really disastrous, and people have kind of given up on that risk a bit, haven't they? Yeah. There's still a lot of it out there, but it's... It is a greater risk. Yeah, we're lucky to be where we are because we've got Ailsham, which there's two or three, two, 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 company, two, two ones, good yeah. buyers, strong buyers. We've yeah. got Adams and Howling. You know, that's good for this little area. It's yeah. good for well, there's Bannums as well, which which yeah. you know stretch across. We would you know independence is is still strong in Norfolk, thankfully, and a lot of that Adams and and Bannums is down to Marisotta. Yeah, that's their been their mainstay. But yeah, looking ahead. There's always going to be more than one grain buyer. It's yeah, just whether there's, there's should be. whether there's 20 or whether there's two is critical. You need to have more than just two. You know, it needs to have competition. That's that. Otherwise, farmers' negotiating skills are going to be useless because <laughs> yeah. it'll be stuffed. It'll be it, won't it? Yeah. But, you know, so you've listened to our podcast occasionally, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I listen to it. So um, any advice, any sort of suggestions what we should introduce to... Make it a bit oh, I think more it's rather nice to just have a chat, really. I mean, that's not no, it's good. I can't think of any. It's uh, bizarre. It's really strange the phenomena of doing it. I was anti it, as I told everybody in the first place. I was kind of like, what's the point in telling everybody what you think? But the spin-off has been this conversation that we're having, like it or lump it, is going to last a long time. It's mm. digitalized. It'll be saved, and somewhere down the line, you'll pop your clogs, and your great grandchildren will listen to their great-grandfather, and that'll be you, having a chat. Yeah, well, what about that? When, uh, <laughs> wise words spring to mind, don't they? Like, oh, what should I say now to them? No, but, you know, there's some people we've captured on this who, with the benefit of hindsight, it's a really good job that they're on here. They're, they've got stories that will never be retold. Yeah, I heard Chris Harrison on and... Jeff Portfleet, her neighbours, and that's quite strange, sitting there eating my Monday night tea and listening <laughs> to my neighbours on the... <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they, they may listen to me when they're having their Monday night yeah, tea. Yeah, they probably will, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the other thing is that I saw someone the other day, which in itself is strange, because we're now getting out to see other people, bumped into them at the supermarket, and they said, oh, you know, talking to me as if I'd been with them all the way through. She said, oh, oh, of course I haven't. I've been listening to you every week, she said. So it's, like I, it's like I see you every week, but no, it's... For me, it's I'm kind of chucking something out there, and not being able to have guests has been quite, it's been quite interesting, quite funny with the boys at work. Actually, that's been quite a good dynamic. But I hope in years to come, people will realise it was, it was a point in time when a pandemic hit, which none of us had any experience about, mm. and it was a strange old time, wasn't it? Yeah, funny time. My wife's a nurse, and she's been at Rossi's, yeah, frontline people, which yeah. is. Uh, 
She's, they've all done brilliantly at all. The, well, yeah. particularly that I know them all the Birchwood surgery ladies, but throughout the country, that's just been an amazing effort. The front line, the people who you know went into that, knowing that it was not going to do them a lot of good as well. The risks they were taking, yeah, absolutely. This was this time last year was as worse really when I, I particularly remember. A, Bus drivers in London were getting it, I remember, which yeah. was quite upsetting because a lot of them were ethnic yeah. people and they they struggled with it more than... And they were doing their job and Just dying. Good. Yeah. And at the time, masks weren't actually... With the benefit of hindsight, masks would have made a massive difference yeah, from day so, one, wouldn't they? I remember the first person wearing a mask in um, Sainsbury's in North Walsham. I remember thinking, idiot. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Really, but, but I was wrong, you know, quite happy to admit it. So, yeah, anyway, it's very kind of you to be, you know, resurgence. We had Toby on another one of our rugby pals a couple of weeks ago. So I'll probably go through the entire squad. I've got a picture on my wall in the office with with you on it. What year was that? That was 1992. 92. Last year, I think. Yeah, it's probably had enough. (laughs) Yeah, I'd had enough. (laughs) (laughs) Not all those dive passes, but no, I'll go through the squad. There's a couple of them I can't name. I can't remember. There's there's two guys in there. I I really should have written the names on the back, but I remember Kunkit Lee. He's on there. Yeah, I remember him, yeah. Yeah, he was a Gresham schoolboy. Yeah. But yeah, we've got several. There's Richard Seaman, funnily enough. That probably was the day of the dive pass. Yeah, and Jimmy Lockhart. Of course. And who else in there? Kipper Kirkham, Richard Taylor. Siddle, yeah, John Siddle. He just lives up there. Does he? Did he? Yeah. He ended up with the girl from. Yeah. Yeah. Did he really? What does he do then? Don't know. <laughs> He's a lad, wasn't he? We all were then. Yeah. Well, I'll go through the rest of the squad one by one. But anyway, as Chris Harrison, obviously. So yeah. we've already had Chris, Toby, and you on. So gradually, I'm working through the team. Yeah, that was good. Good times, really. Good fun. But there you are. That's the youth. Right? I had hair. Well, <laughs> I've still got mine. Indeed. Well, we'll <laughs> and the same colour. Anyway, right. Yeah, just about. No help with that, though. Right, William, we're done, aren't we? That's, yeah, a, that's been a good. lovely to catch up, lovely to come in the, in the central office of the GCHQ of P.O. Almy and Son. Long good, may thanks, you grow Andrew. good. That's been interesting. No, well, good, and, and you'll listen to yourself and you'll think, oh, I should have said that. I'll have too. to hide behind the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Doctor Who. But no, you know, P.O. Almy and Son, the hub of the universe, and the Almy family are, you know, good luck to you all and thanks for coming well, on, William. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.